to when it's my turn to share and I get to Sunday and I'm sometimes I try to trace the the evolution of my thoughts during the week <laughs> and how I land. You know how that goes, Bruce? Right? It's like where, wait a minute, where did where did this where was the station this train left to land me here? And I think I was thinking about next week being Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Passover, 50 days uh, after the resurrection. And of course, that's in the New Testament when the, um, the Holy Spirit fell and baptized the 120 in the upper room. And they were filled, they were, they heard a rushing sound and little tongues of fire appeared on their heads and they went out into the street and all, all of the Middle Eastern world through the representations of those who were there for Pentecost in Jerusalem found out that God had just started a new chapter, one that was long awaited, but no one had really understood what was coming and uh and the world was has never been the same and so we are born into this time into this this um this uh time of um as we're studying in second peter and trying to uh you know uh, learn about what it means to be participants in the divine nature incredible incredible phrase and so i got thinking about as i got thinking about pentecost and uh, what that means for us today. But if you're um, a fan of The Chosen, as Gordon and I are, and um, you might know that their fourth episode of, of season two just came out, and it's during the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And because Matthew is a tax collector, and uh, they, the way they have they portray him is he doesn't know a lot of his own Jewish customs because he's been living basically in a Roman context. And so through explaining to Matthew, they can explain to the viewers what the Feast of Tabernacles is. And that was when God said to go and to build shelters um, and stay in the wilderness and to remember the time of the wilderness wanderings. And Matthew in The, the Chosen says, you know, uh, Nathaniel's supposed to be this great architect. He goes, Nathaniel, I, I have to say that your your thatching is not that great. Uh, this is will protect us from the sun, but if it rains, we will get wet. And Mary, the mother of the Lord, says in the show, that's part of God's uh, plan. Matthew is that we would remember what it was like to live to live outdoors and to be completely dependent on the Lord. And they were to live in the shelters for a week in just like a, a you know, like a lean to or a, a basically just a, a tent made of wood and branches and, and thatch. And Jesus in this uh, version says, it's a great leveler of all peoples because the rich and the poor, everyone comes and lives in utter dependence on God, knowing that anything we have is from him. And that as we remember this time of the, the people of Israel wandering in the desert, that we remember their complete dependence on God. So the Lord led me back to Exodus 15 and 16. And, and, and again, I thought, wow, God, this is like a this is a football uh, talk again. This is this is the basic stuff, but I don't think you can ever get past the basic stuff. 
somebody said to me last week, there, you know, there's, there shouldn't be any such thing as a good preacher. There should only be people who can draw from the word of God, no matter what is shared or spoken. God, God feeds us by his spirit. I don't completely agree with that statement there, but there is the truth of the fact that it's about the word of God and it's about the presence of God. And God never, in my opinion, intended for us to get beyond the dependence that the children of Israel were to learn in their time in the wilderness. Isn't it interesting that they see the plagues in Egypt? They see the mighty deliverance of, of out of slavery, 400 years of slavery, and they come out with signs and wonders and all Israel today in the midst of what they're going through and they're in their bomb shelters, I'm sure every Jew is hearkening back to the deliverance. That is the central message of their faith is God delivered us out of captivity. God delivered us out of slavery by mighty hand and miracles. He brought us across the Red Sea. We came across on dry land. And when our enemy tried to follow us, the waters came back in and drowned Pharaoh and his armies. And, you know, in Exodus 15, it says, Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and rider he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God. I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And it just goes on. The whole chapter is just recounting the goodness of God and his acts and power. And, and then Miriam, you know, this is the, the verse we're sort of probably more familiar with is Miriam then picks up a tambourine and leads the women in a dance and they dance before the Lord and they, they proclaim he is highly exalted, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And then, uh, you know, what happens next? They go from, you know, standing on the shore and seeing, you know, bodies washing up and chariots floating in and seeing the might and the wonder and the impeccable timing of God. And then it says, and then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And this is so, so interesting, isn't it? Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So you've got to ask yourself, what's with the wilderness, right? What's with the wilderness? And everybody in their life at various points walks in a wilderness. Either you're walking in a wilderness of confusion, sorrow, financial challenge, loss of loved ones, loss of health, loss of something. There's, there's times when loneliness, we walk through wildernesses. Sometimes they last, last for hours. Sometimes they last for days. And sometimes they last for years. And there is so much that we do not want to miss. Now, if this time of the pandemic, honestly, I, 
I, we have not suffered. I'm speaking personally for my family. God has been so faithful to us. This has not been a time of wilderness for us in that, in that sense, other than the isolation. This is certainly a time of wilderness for many, many people across the globe. This is a time of calling people into a place where they don't have what they need. They don't have what life is really all about oftentimes. And so the Lord calls, tells, tells Moses to take these people into the wilderness. And we know that that journey was only, only if they'd gone, you know, directly, it was an 11 day journey, but they weren't ready to face the, the war in the nations that they would have faced. So God was training them up in the wilderness Interesting that when we look back with New Testament eyes and we look back into these narratives and we see the things that stand out, how many days out from the Red Sea are they when there's no water? Three days. Three days is highly significant to us. That's a resurrection day. So here they are. God's just drowned their enemies in water. <laughs> and now they get out there and there's no water. Some of you maybe heard me tell this story before, but at times when we were in Chad, we were in the Sahel, in the area between the Sahara and the, the more, um, I don't even want to say fertile, areas that actually have more of a rainy season, but the desert is descending. So the whole area, the whole country is becoming desertified. And we had, a, we had one pump well in our village and the Swiss put it there because it was very, very, very deep. It was 120 meters. And you had to have a pump to get the water up that high. But there was never any thought to what happens when the pump breaks because it's a sealed well. And all of the flocks and all of the herds of an entire village of 800 people and all the animals, there were only two wells. One was a well up in the foothills of the mountains that the women had to travel up with jugs on their shoulders and it was very rocky and the other was the on the plane and it the pump broke and when you know when it says in uh, Jonah that the whole country the kingdom fasted they called a fast because of Jonah's words to repent and even the animals fasted and I thought I know what that sounds like donkeys who have not had drinks of water are obnoxious they're obnoxious anyway sheep bleeding the whole place responding with no water so here's millions of people out in the desert with all their flocks and herds and there's no water so this is no small issue but they've just seen all the miracles of god right three days they saw you know the hail the the everything the blood turning the water turning to blood, all the, the, the insects, the gnats, all the things that came, the plague of the firstborn, and God delivers them. Then God says, go this way. And then they're like, ah, it's a dead end. What were you thinking, God? And God's like, relax, I've got this. And takes them across the Red Sea and then causes them, causes his own glory um, as he brings the Red Sea back down on the enemy. People forgot all of that in three days. Now, I'm just so glad I'm not like that. It's just, 
this is where you laugh. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not like that? Human nature does not change, right? And so we get this opportunity to, to not only read what our forefathers did, our forefathers in the faith, but we get to actually experience this. So the, the book of Deuteronomy says, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. He has done these things and he will do them again. So here they are three days out from, you know, massive earth shattering, life-changing miracles. And when they do get to water, they get to water that is bitter and they named the place Mara, which means bitter. So I'm at the end of um, Exodus 15 and the people, what do they do? Grumble. They grumble at Moses. They don't even grumble to Moses. They grumble at Moses. What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him what? A tree. And he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet. So for us, again, as New Testament believers, we're like a tree. It's the same word for wood. So Moses, you know, probably if it was me and if I was Moses, I would have got like, just hit it with my staff. That's, you know, and God says, he cried out. Did you notice the people did not cry out? That's why they're in the wilderness. So they can learn to cry out because God is looking for a people who know their God. He's looking for us that we are priests, all of us, not just the leaders. That what if this time of everyone being on their own in isolation is a time where everyone learns the voice of their Lord and cries out to God. They're not just looking to leaders. God sets up leaders, but every person is a priest of the Lord. We have the divine nature in us. We have the, we have the whole book. We look at how fat that book is. Would you look how fat that book is? We've got the whole divine revelation of the history and the word of God that he wants to take and quicken to us and use to make us, steadfast in him and that we would know his voice and we would respond so the people cry out to moses moses cries out to the lord and moses throws a, a piece of wood or a tree or a branch you know old testament prophecies about the branch would come from the stump of jesse the wood of the cross and the cross makes the water sweet the everything that god does is building up to the summit of history of all time to the cross the death and the resurrection of his son that's going to make things whole and pleasant isn't that amazing he doesn't just doesn't say he makes it pure he brings later he'll bring water from a rock he makes the water sweet or pleasant honey from the rock sweet waters there's um, some people and this is total speculation so i'll just preface it with that there are some scientists christian well, i don't want to say christians some scientists who are christians not christian scientists but some scientists who are believers who said there's actually the possibility that when the waters were purified um most people coming out of egypt would have had 
worms, possibly schistosomiasis. There were just things that they would have had in their systems as slaves. And again, referring back to Chad, we assumed everybody who had some kind of medical disorder had two things. They had worms, everybody had worms and everybody had malaria. So the first thing to do was give people a worm treatment. That's gonna help and uh, keep the malaria down. Malaria is circulating in your blood system all the time. It just pops up when you get worn down. So the, the, the idea being when God purified these waters that, uh, that there was something left in these, the, this uh, desert pool that what was left probably would have actually purified them and cleansed their systems of some of the bugs that they actually, they, they weren't just being purified and cleansed, getting Egypt out of them. That some people speculate that they actually were physically being freed of the bugs from this purified water and that the, the, the uh, minerals that were left in it would have enabled them, helped them in their uh, desert wanderings where you need more elements in the water because you perspire it all out, which we experienced in Chad as well, being lightheaded because we, we sweat out all of our potassium and trace elements. So that's just a, an aside, but I heard it and I thought, yeah, that sounds like God. <laughs> God's, God's so multi-purpose and accomplishing so many things at one time. He's getting, he got them out of Egypt. Now he's getting Egypt out of them. So I want you to think of, and I'm not talking about our fellowship specifically here. I want you to think of the Western church. The Western church has been drinking polluted waters and they've picked up a lot of parasites. And this time, what if in this time, God is saying, I am purging you of some of the stuff that you have ingested and it's garbage to your system. It's foreign to your system. It is not pure to your system. And I am purifying some of the wrong teaching and wrong thinking that has gone on and has polluted you. And I am purifying you and I'm taking the toxicity out of your theology, out of your Christology. And I'm making you dependent on me and I will give you what you need to walk in this time where you don't think you have what you need, but I am all you need. And that, I think is one way to look at this time. It is one way to look at this time. God is flushing the system. God is saying, I will not tolerate mixture. I'm looking for a people who are holy, who not are, per they're not perfect. He chose Israel. He said, ah, you guys aren't anything stunning. I just chose you because I did. You're going to be stunning because I chose you. I didn't choose you because you were so great. This is the same with us. We're not perfect. We're not holy in and of ourselves, but we've been given Christ Jesus and we've been given the Holy Spirit. So what if, what if, what if this is our time of the bitter waters actually being made sweet for us, made sweet for us through the cross, through the wood that's thrown in. So here's what he does. He, uh, so they're able to drink the sweet waters, they and their flocks and their families. And he said, God, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandment and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am 
the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, your healer. You know, if you, if you studied the names of God in Hebrew, you know, that's Rapha. I am the Jehovah. I am Yahweh Rapha. I am the Lord who heals. And I just want to say right at this point, don't assume as the, the Jews did in Jesus's time, uh-oh, somebody's sick. They've got sin in their life. Remember the guy who was born blind? And the people, the, the disciples came and said, uh, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. This is, this is for the glory of God. So uh, again, we want to think correctly. These are the words of Jesus that says some of these things are for the glory of God. And, you know, so we, we want to, we want to know his ways. We want to know what he's like, but he actually, during this time reveals to them a new name. He says, I am the God who heals you. I'm the God who heals you. There's such a richness in that for I, the Lord am your healer. And then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. You know, God is so, he's like the best personal trainer, right? He knows exactly what we need. So they come out of this time, you know, even the good times were probably stressful, right? You can't tell me seeing the Egyptian army destroyed as much as that was exhilarating. That was traumatic. And then they don't have any water. And then they do. And they're, they're starting to tune in. They're starting to get it. They're starting to become spirit. They've been 400 years. They've been generations of paganism. You know, I heard some people say some things just this week. And, and it was so superstitious. And I, I just looked at them and I said, since when are you like becoming a total pagan? <laughs> this is the time for straight talk, my friends. There's thinking that is so bent. I'm like, read your Bible. Would you read your Bible? How does that even fit in your thinking? That was just so superstitious and bent. We need to be people who know our God for the time that we're coming into. We need to know what he says. We need to know what he does and has done and will do. We need to know and we need to be dependent, absolutely dependent on who he is. So isn't it interesting? that uh, the people's response is grumbling. And if you read chapter 16, if you've done Bible study with me, you notice words that repeat. So uh, we'll see how far we get in this, but um, the grumbling comes up a lot. Uh, anybody wanna just throw out a, a definition of grumbling? Just unmute yourself and tell me what's grumbling. Complaining. Anyone else? What's the big deal with grumbling? Why would God have a problem with grumbling? I get the impression it's often not to the person that you're mad at. It's to other people. You often don't grumble at the person you're griping about. You grumble to your friends and infect them with your complaining <laughs> oh that's an interesting observation yeah okay so so why why was why is god not real pleased with grumbling 
because then we're dissatisfied with what he's done for us. Yeah. Ooh. Kevin, were you going to say something yeah. similar? I was just going to say, yeah, I agree with that. You're discontented. Yeah. Okay. Does it also show we don't trust him? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting down to the nitty gritty here. Did you say something, Bill? It creates discouragement. We're okay. not looking to God for our happiness. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. I like it's that. Faith in faith. I like what Bill said too about uh, it's contagious. Grumbling leads to more grumbling. Yes. And Alan, say again what you said, please. Oh, you have to unmute, Alan. Oh, sorry, you're muted. Yeah, Alan, I heard you say something, but then I don't think I don't think everyone heard it. If you unmute again, and was that you? Uh, no, I didn't say anything. I just, I just, I didn't. <laughs> me. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm following. I'm following the yellow box going around. Sean, what did you say? <laughs> I said it's not based in faith. Okay, so. Yeah, if you're taking notes, uh, I hope you got all those points because grumbling to the Lord is a very serious thing. I've heard it defined as hell's language of praise. Ooh, burn, literally. It's like right? gossiping, isn't it? Gossiping, yes. I mean, if you're if you're spreading lies about the character and nature of God, you're, you're not even talking to God about it. Yeah. Yeah. You're gossiping to others. Good point, Marilyn. Yeah. Rebellious words. Ooh. Yeah, we're we're getting down to the heart of the matter here, aren't we? So <laughs> so uh Mo the people complain to Moses. Moses cries out to God. And this is this is not my quote, but um I, I, I read this and I was like, this this is really good. Said God is testing them, and it says this repeatedly. Um, that God was testing them to see if they would obey. And it said it had yet to be demonstrated by testing whether the children of Israel, get this, were a worshiping people who occasionally murmured or if they were a murmuring people who occasionally worshiped. Boom. Are we a worshiping people who occasionally murmur or complain, or are we a murmuring people who occasionally worship? Ouch. What if this time is a time for the Western church to find out if, if, if we are true worshipers? You know, I, I, love, I love looking at Mary, the mother of the Lord, and the things that she went through as just a young girl and chose to worship. She worshiped her way through all of the things that came upon her that were not easy. They were not easy. And she worshiped her way through that we worship in spirit and in truth. So here's an interesting thing. Israel sees this amazing victory of God. It's God's victory. They kind of just went along for the ride. I don't think they really participated much in the whole Egypt thing. They were just there. They got to witness it. They were witnesses of the majesty and the power and the glory and the kind intentions of God. And then he takes them across the Red Sea. 
and they get their first test, will they believe that I am the God who defeats their enemies and I am the God who has good intentions toward them and I am the God that is calling them unto myself for a purpose, for a purpose, and that I will see them through. I am the Lord. I do not change. And yet, test number one, they fail and they complain and murmur and go to human help. And they and then they see the grace and the mercy of God who saves them by a piece of wood that purifies the water and makes it pleasant to drink because he's a gentle personal trainer. He wants us to succeed. He, he, he has 40 years is a pretty long time limit, isn't it? <laughs> you think we might, you know, they might've gotten it, but where did the lessons come? God takes them out, show, gives them the water in the place of bitter water in the place of no water and then he brings them to what we would probably call an oasis. Date palms, dates are sweet too, and lots of water and all the animals are happy and the kids are playing and they're glad for some shade and they're running around and it's, it's happy times. But guess what? It was in the time of not having any water or facing a challenge that again looked impossible that God said, I am the Lord who heals you. I am Yahweh Rapha. It was in the time of the wilderness and the time of challenge and the time of impossibility that God reveals himself in a new way. It wasn't at the springs of Elam. And Elam, they got refreshing and God knew they needed refreshing. But it was in the time of not having what it, the very essentials of life that they knew God in a way they could not know him in any other circumstance. So if you think of some of the names of God, Hagar says, you are the God who sees me. I've just been tossed out on my ear with this, with this kid and I have nothing and nowhere to go. I'm a woman alone with no man to cover me. And God says, I see you, Hagar. And here's the word of the Lord to you. And she says, she calls him, you are the God who sees me. And I think in these times of dry places, we have the opportunity to see the miracles of God. We have the opportunity to go to God, to cry out ourselves and to say, God, you've done it in the past. You've done it for others. You don't have any favorites. What about me? What about now? And, and come to God with your, with your, with your, with his faith, as, as Richard said, it's his faith. We might not even feel it. We might just feel desperation, but to say, God, this is the place where I'm going to, I am going to know you. And it says the end of the chapter says, uh, I will give you, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord, your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases on you, which I put on the Egyptians for I, the Lord am your healer. Then they came to Elam. So he gave them, he gave them statutes and regulations. He gave them a, a new name for him. 
he gave them water that turned from bitter to sweet. He gave them himself. All of the revelation came in the tough place. No revelation came in Elam. How do we get through the tough places? By pressing into him. Of course, the next thing that's going to come is uh, Exodus 16. They set out from Elam. All of the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. That's just coincidence that it's called Sin or Shin. Um, but it's, it's kind of apropos, actually, in English that it works out that way. Which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. So essentially, they've been out six weeks. Six weeks they've been camping. But the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So all of your observations there are true again of this word grumbled. And the sons of Israel said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread until we were full. For you, Moses and Aaron, have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. Uh, anybody have a word to express that little state, that series of statements? Go ahead. Grumbling. It was a temper tantrum. Temper tantrum. I like that, Dennis. Extreme hyperbole. <laughs> yes, my son. Bit melodramatic, don't you think? Oh, my goodness. Uh, and once again, we'll all take the pharisaical stance and say, I'm so glad I'm not like that. <laughs> Ask Gord, I'm never melodramatic. And that is where you also insert laughter, laugh, the little face with the tears coming out because you're laughing so hard. That's what that goes there. Sometimes we just get melodramatic, right? We just, we forget so quickly, like six weeks in and there, and suddenly the hardship of slavery, my friends, and they were making bricks with no straw at the end. Slavery looks better then depending on God in the tough place, who's going to do miraculous things and provide for you. And again, they don't go to God. They don't go to God. They go to man and they complain, they grumble. And the Lord said to Moses, verse four, chapter 16, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day so that I may test them or prove them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Walk is like your whole way of life, right? Are you going to live in dependence and union with me? Or are you just going to be like a, you know, awkward herd of cattle that just never going to fall into line on the sixth day? When they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, 
At evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. I think they knew that. I mean, obviously God did it. Who else could have done what happened? But where did God go? I mean, many of us who have been saved for a long time can kind of look back and say, obviously God did that. I was, I was on a path that was headed for destruction. And where did God go? He's the same. The God that, that brought me into a place of revelation of my need to repent and turn to him and be filled with him, that God has not gone anywhere and he has not changed. At evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt and in the morning, you will see, get this, what are they going to see? Anybody know off the top of their head? The glory of God. <laughs> you will see the glory of God. You will see the glory of the Lord. This is such a gracious response. Here's the rest of the sentence. For he hears your grumblings against him. And the Lord, against the Lord, and Moses and Aaron say, what are we that you grumble against us? God says, you're not grumbling against the leaders. You're grumbling against me. And here's what I'll do. I'll give you what you need. <laughs> and you will see my glory. What a gracious father we have. What a gracious father we have. How he deals with us, not according to our sins, but according to his mercy and loving kindness. And he says, I brought you guys out here. I'm not surprised by what you're doing, but I do expect you to learn. <laughs> Catch on, Catch on, jump on the train. Let's get with the program. You know, let's understand who he is and what he's done. So uh, we have had, okay, I'm counting for you. That's four, four mentions of grumbling in about... Uh, nine verses so it's a big deal it's a big deal to god it's a big deal to god because it reflects on him you know if um if i ran a business and my employees were just always complaining about the quality of life that i you know that i didn't pay them enough and they never they never had enough and uh they were just like sort of went through the whole town that I was a really bad employer and and that my people were not looked after. How would I feel? I mean, you know, the, but the union doesn't come to me and say, hey, Sue, you got a problem here. Like, look after your people. And, and that's kind of, you know, a, a faulty analogy of God saying, I am the source of all life. And and. I am about to demonstrate to you how utterly good I am and how incredibly able and willing I am to give you all that you need. I'm, I'm sure all of you know the term El Shaddai, right? Remember, if you're old enough, you'll remember the Amy Grant song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, right? El Shaddai, El Shaddai, the one who sustains me and it's a scholars aren't quite sure what exactly there's different theories about the origin 
but shad in Hebrew means breast. It means a woman's breast. And so God is saying, just as a baby, and I'm looking at my gorgeous little granddaughter there, just as a baby, a newborn baby is utterly dependent on mother's milk. And you all know that mother's milk is phenomenally designed to sustain life in a way that nothing we can create in man-made formulas can do. It's, it gives them all their antibodies. It, they're just like, look at those chubby cheeks. They, they, they get everything they need from mom. And that's, again, God saying, just look at what I've put in the world as a picture of who I am as the source. So as an infant depends on a mother, El Shaddai, that we would depend on God for every ounce of life. And if you've seen a hungry baby, there's no stopping them. A hungry baby, don't get it between them and their mom. That's what God says. Yearn for the pure milk of the word. Be the hungry baby. Go for life. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, there is no life. Apart from me, you're dead in the water, kids. If a, if a, if a mom is lost and a newborn baby is orphaned, you know, they look for a woman who's producing milk right away, or that baby is, is also doomed. The source of life. He says, I am the source. He said it to Abraham, Genesis 17. And now he's going to teach it to his people, the people of God. So we're, we'll, we'll wrap it up here shortly. Uh, so Moses says, you will see, interesting that it's in the morning. I'm going to say Jesus rose up early in the morning. If God awakens you and calls you to prayer, get up, get your butt out of bed. You will be so happy you did. You need Jesus more than you need sleep. In fact, you'll sleep better just like that baby. If God calls you in the wee hours of the morning and says, come have a date with me, you know, Gord would say to me, yeah, everything okay? And I'm like, got a date with Jesus, 2.30 in the morning. I'm like, just a date with Jesus, all good. And sometimes, you know, I get up and I sit in my office chair and I don't turn on the lights and Jesus just comes and we just meet heart to heart, spirit to spirit. And he ministers to me. And sometimes I fall asleep in my chair and I wake up and go, oh, it's 5.30. I just, you know, was asleep in the presence of God. But I'm so refreshed. And sometimes I just weep. And sometimes he downloads stuff to me. But mostly it's just being in his presence. So I encourage you, you know, Jesus got up early. Sometimes he stayed up late. But have time in the presence of God. In the morning, you will see the kavod, the heavy, weighty presence of the Lord. And this, the rest of the sentence makes no sense in, in reasoning for he hears your grumbling. You're going to see the glory of the Lord. 
even though you've been grumbling, he says to the people of God, I'm going to show you my glory because I'm merciful and that's who I am. And Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, that's the quail, and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, that's five, which you grumble, that's six, against the Lord. And what are we, your grumblings, that's seven, are not against us, but against the Lord. So the people of God are being trained up. They're being trained up. What comes out of our mouth, folks, is so important. What comes out of our mouths are so important. I was telling somebody, I saw this study by a Japanese scientist who, I don't think he was a believer, but he understood that there was life and death in the power of the tongue, which is from Proverbs. And he, he saw that, you know, people say, speak nicely to your plants and they will do well. You know, when my, when we moved into our place, the guy had gone out and actually hacked down our cedar hedge. And there were eight foot branches. The whole hedge was down to four feet. It had been a 12 foot hedge. And it looked like a typhoon had gone through. There were eight foot branches of, I don't know how many trees are out there, all over the lawn. It was covered. And I went and a friend of mine said, that hedge will not recover. That's too severe. And I went down the hedge and I said, you are blessed in the name of the Lord. You will grow and prosper. You will thrive in the name of Jesus. And I laid hands on my whole hedge and let's back over probably eight or nine feet now. There's power. Life and death are in the tongue. God is the word. Jesus is the word of God. There is power in the tongue. It's this Japanese fella took ice crystals and they spoke positive words over these ice crystals. And the things that the ice crystals that were in the environment of beautiful words formed beautiful patterns. And the ones that were, were told they were their negative things formed all these weird asymmetrical ugly patterns. The polluted water became well and whole when it was life-giving words and beautiful words were spoken over it. Now you can do with that what you want. I've seen it documented, but it confirms scientifically what God says, life and death are in the power of words. And so here were the people of God speaking death and the life giver was saying, I'm going to give you life anyway, because I love you. And I'm going to supply and show you what, uh, who I am. Then Aaron and Moses said to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, come forward before the Lord. He has heard your grumblings. That's eight. And as it came about, as Aaron spoke to the entire congregation of the sons of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness and behold, the glory of God appeared in a cloud. And the Lord spoke to them saying, I have heard your grumblings, that's nine, of the sons of Israel, and speak to them and saying, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, and you will know that I am the Lord your God. I tell you, next Sunday is Pentecost. There is no shortage of bread. New Testament says, it wasn't Moses that fed you in the desert, you silly people. That was me. That was Jesus. I'm the bread from heaven. So when he gets up in the feast and he says, I'm the living water, I'm the bread from heaven. And all the Jews should just be going, what? Only God can do that. Are you saying you're Jehovah? Yes. And, and, and if we can put ourselves into that and say, oh, my goodness, what a declaration, what a promise that God says 
There's enough for you for this day, fresh manna. What happened to the manna when they gathered too much, except on the day before Sabbath? I have to breathe sometimes. <clears throat> it rotted. It grew worms, except on the day before Sabbath, they could gather two days worth and it wouldn't rot. And except for the omer of, of manna that they put in a jar to keep for all time as a testimony to the people of God of what manna looked like. And they put it in the Ark of the Covenant and the, that manna never rotted. So it was supernatural. Here's what God said to me on Friday. He said, if you do not believe that I can resurrect you every morning, how will you raise the dead? And I was like, wow. Every day when I come to the word of God and I come to the living God and I receive life from the source, the milk, the water, the bread, whatever whatever of one of those metaphors that he uses to try to explain to us that there is absolutely no life outside of him. And I come to him and every morning, whether or not I feel like it, you know, what Richard said, whether or not I feel full of faith. And I say, God, you are enough for me this day. You are enough that I am not just going to survive. But that manna was designed, that milk is designed to give me everything that I need. So I grow chubby cheeked in the spirit that I am, I am chubby and healthy and thriving in the spirit of God, that my spirit is full. He says, I will give you manna. So you will be full. And it didn't matter if you collected a little or a lot. <coughs> so this is not some sort of competition to say, you know, well, you know, I'm going to have to spend hours and hours in the presence of God. No, this is just connecting, connecting to the father so that, you know, I abide in the branch and the, the life comes through the branch and it comes to this plant every day. There's the manna will not last. You can't go on yesterday's manna. You can't go on your testimony of 30 years ago. You got to be connected every day. And he will do wondrous things and he will fill us and he will heal us and he will reveal to us who we really are. He will make us whole and he will make us able to walk into whatever's ahead of us. And we can't, <clears throat> you can't take, you know, a week away, a month away, five years away, just get what you need for today, today's manna and then rest, right? He instituted that. And then I will supernaturally give you food that will last for two days. So you will rest. It's built into the system. Rest. Don't stress. Rest. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And you will have everything you need for life and godliness because the actual nature of God, the divine nature is going to flow through you spirit to spirit. Those who worship will worship <clears throat> no longer by trying to keep the law. Spirit to spirit, and the truth will set us free. And we will, grace and peace will be multiplied to us in that true knowledge of God. And we'll be in that place 
of abiding in him and thriving. And you know what? It all it takes is, is just connecting, you know, um, this morning, apparently never in nine years of living in this house, have we ever tried to make coffee and toast at the same time. Now you'll be wondering, how is that? How can this be? I myself asked this question of my husband, but I have a husband who looks after me so well. And he usually has the coffee maker programmed <clears throat> that the coffee is already made and hot and ready and waiting for me as I enter the kitchen. I'm so spoiled. And so today, because it was Sunday and we had a number of young people here outside who were <clears throat> outside making noise outside our bedroom. And so we, you know, we got up and the coffee wasn't made. And you know what happened is we blew a fuse. I'm like, well, this is crazy. That's such, such crazy wiring. And I'm looking at the coffee maker going, really? Like you're, you're going to die in the middle of my cup of coffee. This is not good. And, and then we figured out, well, we actually just never have those things plugged in at the same time. And uh, so all we had to do was flip a switch. But the first thing we did was take the coffee maker over and put it in a different plug. And guess what? There was power. Coffee maker didn't work when there was no power coming through, but the coffee maker has to be plugged in. So I encourage us, I encourage us all, you know, just be, whenever something goes wrong, I loved last week what Bruce said. He's like, he was kind of traumatized by what someone said and he came home, he said, God, feed me from the word. That's plugging in. That's plugging in, right? Plug in the unlimited riches of Christ. Glory can be translated. It's, it means, the kavod means weight, the weighty presence. It can mean riches and treasure and wealth, the inexhaustible riches of who Jesus is to us. We haven't begun. We have not begun to plug into that. We have not begun to know what is available to us in the Godhead. And we need to know that for this time. And I believe that's part of what God is doing. In this time of quiet it is to bring the, his beloved into the wilderness to allure her in and to give her himself. Amen. I think I'll stop there. All right. Bless you. Bless you. And uh, Brian.